This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hello, welcome to this special edition of the Money and Markets podcast, where we talk about the important bits in the budget that matter to investors and savers. I'm Dan Coatesworth, and with me today are two of my highly esteemed colleagues from AJ Bell. So first, we've got our pensions guru, Tom Selby, is with us, who's going to talk about the personal finance bits from the budget. And I'm also pleased to welcome Danny Hewson to the podcast for the first time. So Danny's jumped ship from the BBC, where she used to present Wake Up to Money, and she's now joined AJ Bell as one of our commentators. So Danny will be on the podcast each week. So welcome aboard, Danny, and hello, Tom. Hello. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Cool. Well, let's start with the state of the economy. So what did Rishi Sunak say about the outlook for the country, Danny? Well, I have to say, if it was my credit card, I'd certainly be wincing right now when I was getting the bill. Um, (laughs) You know, you just look at these figures and they are absolutely eye-watering. Let's just start with what the UK has borrowed this year. Rishi Sunak said it was a record £355 billion. Now, that's 10.3% of GDP this year. And there's a further 234 million set to be spent in the next financial year. But after that, he has promised that borrowing will fall away as the economy picks up. So 4.5% of GDP by 2223 and down to 2.8%, just 2.8% by the year 2526. Um, And the one thing which came out today, uh, which was sort of front and centre right at the start of all things, was the OBR's forecast for economic recovery. Um, They've predicted it'll be faster than previously predicted. So growing at 4% this year and 7% next, which takes us back to pre-pandemic levels by mid-2022, which is no mean feat, really, when you consider how badly the economy has been hit and all those shops and restaurants and everything that has been shut. But, you know, when you start to think about the debt, when I was talking about the eye-watering bill, um, you know, there were future measures which were announced, but it very much felt like the can was being kicked down the road. And even though, you know, Rishi Sunak, he came out with some pretty strong words about, you know, it's impossible to allow our future borrowing and debt to rise unchecked. Well, he's not looking to do that for a little while yet. So, you know, we're talking about um, debt at 88.8% of GDP this year, and then it goes up to 93.8 next year, peaking at 97.1% in 23-24. And it's only then it starts to fall slowly, very, very slowly. And by the year 25-26, we're talking about 96.8% of GDP. And we know that he's promised to do whatever it takes to support people, to support workers, to support businesses. And, And Tom, I think that's very much was right heart and centre of what he was announcing today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you've set the scene very well there, Danny. Um, And the key, I guess a lot of what happened in today's budget, as has been the want of various chances recently, um, was pre-announced via the national press in various different ways. (laughs) And one of the key things that was 
pre-announced was the extension of the furlough scheme. So that's a scheme that's been at the heart of those increasing government costs that you've talked about. So the government at the moment pays 80% of salary for hours not worked up to a maximum of £2,500. They've got a scheme to cover self-employed people as well, of course. So that allows them to claim uh, up to 80% of trading profits per quarter, up to a maximum of £7,500 per quarter. So supposed to be designed to be similar um, in terms of the pay that's given to self-employed workers as to the employed as well. So as I mentioned, pre-announced by the government, that's going to be extended until September this year. So that will be tapered away for a period up until September. So employers are going to be expected to pay 10% towards the hours of their, their, the hours of staff don't work in July, and then that increases to 20% in August and September as the Chancellor looks to wean businesses off this incredible, and as you say, eye-watering government support that they've relied on so much. Um, interestingly, the furlough's been widened slightly, so there's been a lot of press and a lot of talk around uh, around three million people who've been excluded from the furlough scheme for various reasons. Well, 600,000 of those, it's estimated, are going to be brought into the furlough scheme, so those are people who filed tax returns for 2019-20. So this is the self-employed grant, isn't it? The size grant. Exactly, yeah. So these are, these are self-employed uh, people. So just over half a million of those will now be able to claim support who weren't able to claim previously. Um, in terms of the the total numbers, again, I, th- I think sometimes I've mentioned those podcasts before, you kind of have to sit back and, and really think about what some of these numbers mean. So around 4.7 million workers are being paid by via the furlough at the moment. That's not the highest it's been. I think the highest was somewhere around seven or eight million people being paid directly by the government. That's entirely unprecedented. Um, I think one of the one of the questions that was asked when this story was first leaked was why is the furlough going to continue till September, given that we're expecting uh, the society to open up much earlier than that. And clearly the vaccine rollout's going very well. I saw one person asked whether the Chancellor knew something we didn't about the way that the battle against coronavirus was going. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think that the Chancellor was clear that this is in line with the most cautious estimates of opening up society. And I think he wanted to make sure that there weren't accusations that people weren't being supported in the way that they need to be. But it's clearly going to be a very difficult year. Unemployment stands at about 5.1% at the moment. Um, that may well increase as the year goes on and the the support mechanisms are pulled away. And so that's one of the reasons that the Chancellor wanted to keep that in place. But I think it's pretty clear that while some of the difficulties in terms of dealing with the, the virus may have been overcome to an extent, some of the economic battle is, is still to come and Dan you were gonna so there were there were some mentions in terms of supporting businesses that's really at the forefront of a lot of the stuff Rishi Sunak was announcing today wasn't it yeah I mean there's a big focus on business rates I think Mm. if you go back to um, last year the the government said that they give a a 12-month business rate payment holiday from the 1st of April to the 31st of March 2021 for retail hospitality leisure sectors They're, they're the ones that have been most hit by pandemic in terms of disruption to their business so um, lots of people saying yeah yeah please can we have some extension and, and in the budget come out and say yep yeah, we're gonna keep this going 100 uh, business rate holiday 
up until the end of June. Um, and then for the next nine months, the, the business rates will still be discounted by up to two thirds. So, um, you know, this is, I guess it's positive in some way, but th there's a slight disappointment because in Scotland, um, a similar scheme is actually going to run until the end of March 2022. Um, so I guess there's always always going to be some idea of people saying well, you know, they've got it better than us. Uh, why can't we have the same? But um, th there's also some calls for extension on VAT. So, again, last year for the food and soft drink industry, that VAT was cut to 5%. Um, th there were some calls to say, look, hang on a minute, you know, our industries are still struggling loads of restaurants and, and pubs are not open yet so um please can we have some yeah, more support yes and, and again they got it so vat here is going to be extended for six months until 30 september um and then it will go up to 12 and percent rate for another six months and then and we won't actually get the standard rate until april next year so yeah i guess you know there's two two positives must be taken from those decisions um, and then the government also said it's going to give some support, but in a different way to the banking sector. So not actually um, here giving a sort of um, tax base or financial support. What, what it's doing is saying, what well, we really want you to start lending to, to more people and perhaps not be so cautious about um, lending during the pandemic. So for people who really want to get onto the housing ladder or, or perhaps um, move property, you've got to be prepared to offer a 95% mortgage. So the, the borrower would only need a 5% deposit. So um, the government said they're going to do this um, guarantees uh, support for um, for banks who've prepared to, to lend 95% um, deals up to £600,000 for property. But interesting, this is this is first-time buyers and current homeowners, because quite a lot of these schemes that the government will be doing have just been focused on first-time buyers. We've had several mortgage providers like Lloyd's and, and Barclays and HSBC say that they're going to do this for next month. Uh, Virgin Money uh, indicated it's going to fo follow shortly after. So, so really, this is um, giving support for the property market. Um, you know, if the government's effectively going to stake, take a stake in it, they don't want prices to crash. Um, so it does look like that the that, that government is interested in keeping the property market alive. But there's lots of people on social media having quite a go at this particular um, policy that's been put in place, saying that it's going to absolutely light a fire under property prices. Yeah, well, we've already seen this, uh, you know, over the last I don't know, six months or so when the, the stamp duty holiday was introduced last July which raised the threshold for paying tax from 125 grand to 500 grand. So um, people jumped at the chance to, to be able to move house and, and save some money on stamp duty. So, of course, this, this surge in activity has pushed up prices. But um, what's happened is there's so many transactions in the system um, that this stamp duty holiday was due to end um, 31st of March is now going to be pushed out till 30th of June just so they can get all those transactions through the system. Um, but yeah, it, it potentially could still uh, create even more pressure on the market. Um, you know, if there's other other people now coming in via this sort of five percent deposit, ninety five percent mortgage deals. Um, so what the, the government says we're going to um, change the stamp duty holiday. So from from the end of June, the nil rate band will move to £250,000 until the end of September. And then from the 1st of October, it will go back to its normal rate of £125,000. So, um, you know, definitely some interesting stuff here. So, I mean, what about uh, for individual investors? I mean, was there anything really big on ISIS and pensions, Tom, in the budget? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, there were a, there were a couple of bits. So um, quite interesting on that housing market. I mean, you do you do wonder when we're ever going to have a normal housing market that isn't either supported by a mortgage guarantee scheme or isn't pumped up by cuts in the in stamp duty. But there we go. Um, in terms of the personal finance stuff, so the the key one again, something that was um, pre-announced or leaked to one of the national papers was around the lifetime allowance so this is the maximum that you can save tax-free in a pension over your lifetime so at the moment it's um it's set at the catchy level of one million and seventy three thousand one hundred pounds the reason it's that slightly strange number is that it's been going up in line with cpi inflation for the past few years Um, the government has now decided that's no longer going to happen so the lifetime allowance is going to stay at just over a million pounds until 25 26 of the year 2025 26 um a couple of things to say about that so firstly i think some of the people who will be most affected by this will be people working in the nhs so if you think of a high earning doctor who's got a generous defined benefit scheme then they're probably more likely to breach the lifetime allowance than somebody, than, than, a, than, a, than a worker in the private sector who perhaps builds up in a funds in a defined contribution pension, which aren't quite as valuable. Um, the second point is that a million pounds, while it sounds huge, in terms of turning that into a retirement income, perhaps isn't as big as you might think it is. So I plugged some um, numbers into the money advice service annuity calculator so I looked at um, somebody, a 65-year-old healthy, who buys an, uh, an annuity that increases by 2% inflation each year with a £750,000 pot. So I assume that they take the 25% tax-free cash that's available to them, as most people do. Now, that remaining pot will buy a guaranteed income stream on those terms for about 27 or £28,000 a year. So that's a decent pensions income but it seems to me to be quite a low level to be setting people's retirement aspirations at. if you look at someone who's going into drawdown um, gets four percent investment returns a year and looks to deliver an inflation protected income for around 30 years you'd be looking at an income of around thirty-two thousand pounds that would be able to be sustained for 30 years so again a de- decent retirement income but to me it seems quite a low point to to, to stop people from building up tax-free savings but that's clearly the the position that we're in at the moment and clearly the chance has decided that the lifetime allowance is one area where he can save some money so that's going to save the government around a billion pounds um the second major announcement is around the personal allowance and the higher rate threshold again this was trailed before the budget so both the personal allowance and higher rate income tax thresholds are going to be frozen from next year so there's already legislation in place to increase the personal allowance from the current level of 12,500 pounds by 70 quid to 12,570 pounds and the higher rate threshold to the point at at which the 40 percent tax rate increases uh, is due to increase from 50,000 pounds to 50,270 pounds again nice catchy round numbers Um, those will both go ahead but then both figures will stay at the same level all the way until 25 26. Now, Rishi Sunak was quite keen to say that this isn't a stealth tax. Um, He said it's not a stealth tax because he's telling us about it, which seems sort of (laughs) fair enough. Um, From a taxpayer's point of view, though, whether it's you label it a stealth tax or not, it's just the difference between being punched in the face or being punched in the back of the head. Either way, it's going to cost you some 
money in terms of the numbers around that effectively raised eight billion a year by 2025-26. So a significant chunk of change over that period of time. Um, it's going to bring 1.3 million more people into paying tax at the higher rate. So a move that might seem all on the face of it, but over a longer period of time, as wages you would hope increase, the amount that people pay in tax is going to increase significantly. So this is the concept of fiscal drag, the buzzword, which I'm sure that everyone will, will be splashed across mm. all the newspapers when looking at the, the budget commentary. You know, inflation or income growth moves the taxpayers into a higher tax bracket, but you know, it increases the government tax revenues without actually increasing the tax rate. So I think everyone's going to get a, a GCSE lesson in economics, maybe, um, whether they, they wanted that or not. So. Yeah, when you're looking at the, the figures that he's hoping to raise from this pension grab, whatever you might call it, this fiscal mm -hmm. drag, it's not a great deal when you're thinking overall about the amount that they've borrowed and the amount of debt that is in the UK economy. And one of the things which both Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak have been absolutely shouting about wherever they could find a microphone was this whole idea of build back greener. And for me, one of the biggest misses in today's budget was they really didn't seem to do a great deal on this. And uh, Chris Stark, who is the chief executive of um, UK Climate Change Committee, um, has pretty much damned this by faint praise, saying not much to say about this budget a comment in itself. Um, he suggests that the most significant change is contained in the new remit of the Monetary Policy Committee. So this is effectively the Chancellor telling the Bank of England that decision makers at Threadneedle Street will really have to reflect the importance of environmental sustainability and the transition to net zero when they're making their decisions. So it is quite a big change in terms of the way that the conversation is being had. But when you think that we've got COP26 coming down the horizon, I know, Tom, you were talking to Guy Opperman last week, and he was really enthused about this whole idea of green investing, about helping people save for their own futures, think about their own futures, but by doing that, also thinking about the future of the world in which they live and the future for their children as well. So the much sort of anticipated green bond has come about so people can save um, in the same way that they would save a savings bond, they'd be able to invest in, in green policies. And of course, we also had the announcement of this green bank, which is going to be based down the road from me in Leeds, although other people have said, including the leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer, look, we've had one of these before. So, you know, maybe we're taking a bit of a step backwards here. Um, the one big thing which I think really sort of cements uh, the government's desire to invest in all things green and get people green, as well as the Green Bank and all the cash that they're putting into it and hoping that private investors will put into it, were also the locations of where they're having the eight free ports that were announced. So if you take a look, it's places like the Humber, like Teesside, places where we're seeing this massive infrastructure in both wind and all the other things associated with it. And we also we've got this 4.8 million for the Hollyhead Hydrogen Hub. And I think, you know, this is where a lot of investment is going. And there is an increasing attractiveness because of the amount of government support. And I think today, 
Singapore's sovereign wealth fund, actually, uh, and a Japanese conglomerate, Mitsui, have both taken a 15% stake in a UK carbon and capture developer, Storiga. Um, so they're looking at a carbon capture and storage project, the Acorn project off the North Sea. And I think going forward, this is where we're going to see a lot of people taking a long, hard look and deciding whether or not they want to put their money in here. Yeah, that, that, the green savings bond was quite interesting. It's, this, this is going to be launched by national savings and investments. But uh, the, the magic thing people wanted was was tell me what the, the, the interest rate is on this savings uh, product. Of course, you're not going to get that for months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people will be looking at, uh, at what they might be able to make off these green bonds, but they'll also be looking at where we're going to pay for all this. And there was a bit of a sting in the tail, Dan. Yeah, I mean, there's um, lots of sort of uh, news on tax cuts and tax rises when it comes to corporations. So um, mentioning earlier that fiscal drag was one of the buzzwords from the budget. Well, we've got another one. It's called super deduction. So uh, um, I didn't see that <laughs> one. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that. I want to live in a world where these are buzzwords. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, th- this is perhaps the one bit in the budget which wasn't leaked. Um, and yeah, so far, it's quite interesting. But of course, the devil's always in the detail. But um, essentially, super deduction is, is a scheme that's going to allow firms to cut their tax bills by 25 pence for every pound that they invest in new equipment. So um, this is, you know, you, you saw shares in BT rise quite fast on the back of this. So BT is a great example. It needs to invest very heavily in lots of um, telecoms equipment to be rolled out across the country. Um, so, you know, there's a chance here that they're going to have um, a nice big cut in their tax bill. So that, that's great. And there was a chap on social media saying um, next year, some poor Amazon press officer is going to have to explain to hundreds of journalists why with sales rocketing, that the Chancellor's super deduction means that, they, that Amazon has paid less tax. I thought it was quite a, an interesting <laughs> comment, particularly as it was said by someone who used to be an Amazon press officer. So, it's very um, clever because it's a way to get businesses who perhaps were thinking, do you know, we, we need to keep a little bit of cash back just to make sure we've got a cushion going forward. It's a good way of making them actually invest in things because, I mean, 130% that they'll get back of the cost that they've spent on, on whatever they're buying is, is a huge amount, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, and so I think it will definitely lead to a big boost in investments by companies. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's a very interesting move. But then we've got the the rate of corporation tax is going to increase from 19% to 25% in 2023. So again, this was one of the things that was trailed ahead of the budget. People were expecting this to happen. So even when you take into account that change, the UK will still have the lowest corporation tax rate in the G7. Um, but perhaps the, the good news for some companies is that this new higher rate is not going to come in until uh, April 2023. So that's well after the point at which the OBR expects the UK economy to have recovered. And it if- was a bit of a shock that it was going up from 19% to 25%, wasn't it? Because I think most people were, were trailing ahead. Maybe it would happen slowly. So we'd start with 20% and then maybe we'd get to sort of 22, 23%, but 25% straight out the gates is a lot. 
Yeah, but I mean, the government's sort of arguing that only one in 10 companies will actually pay that full headline rate because they're introducing a sort of tapered system. So if you are got annual profits of less than £50,000, you, uh, you'll be you'll continue to pay that existing 19% rate. And then between 50,000 and 250,000 pounds, you can have a, a sort of, it will go up a bit. So um, I guess that's, that's quite fair in, in my opinion to, to, to companies at the moment. So, um, but I guess if, if you're, you're an investor in individual companies, the one thing to think about is that the stock market is about pricing in multiples of earnings. So in the future, if earnings are going to be slightly less because a company has to pay more tax, theoretically, share prices have to come back a bit. Um, but, you know, this is not something that perhaps will worry investors at the moment because this is two years away. Um, but it, it, it's, it's something that will definitely have to work its way into the system. So, Dan, how have the markets reacted to all this? I mean, FTSE 100 was up by about 1.2% just before the budget announcement. But um, by the time of it, it, it eased back a bit too, and it was up about half uh, not, you know, about half the rate, so 0.6%. But really, that was nothing to do with what was announced in the budget. It's more to do with um, you know, sterling strength. I suppose you, you could argue that sterling was strong because of um, the, the, the conclusion that the economy might be in a bit better situation sooner than um, previously expected. But overall, you must remember that the FTSE 100 is, is sort of three quarters of companies who do business in, in different countries. But um, in terms of individual sort of sectors and stocks, the house builders have been up uh, quite strongly since Monday morning, because um, at the weekend they had all the leaks about um, the mortgage guarantee um, system that they're going to introduce and extending the stamp duty for a few months. So that's obviously positive for house builders. And Brickmaker Ibstock is another one that's sort of um, riding the tail of that positive um, news. The banks were up a bit um, after the, the, the budget was announced. And then we have um, stocks like Whitbread and Cineworld and Weatherspoon. So these are all companies that would benefit from the furlough scheme being extended for a bit longer. And um, that further bit of support that you see for the leisure and hospitality industries. But um, on the green side of things, there's nothing say that the, the green sort of announcements in the budget were perhaps not as strong as people expected. And uh, there wasn't much movement on sort of green related stocks on the market from it. But beer and wine duties, they're uh, staying frozen, which I personally was very happy to hear. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so obviously, you know, Weatherspoon is being up 4% is, um, I think, probably more of a reflection of um, support for on the furlough scheme rather than a sort of a, um, not fiddling around with uh, alcohol duties. So, yeah. I mean, so, Tom, just before we finish, I think it's probably worth, is there anything that people were expecting that didn't get announced in the budget? Ah, uh, yeah, the the announcements that never happened. Um, obviously, every, every budget is preceded by lots and lots of rumour and speculation about what's going to be in there and what's not going to be in there. Some of that comes from, directly from the Treasury and um, some of it comes from industry chat and some of it's probably a bit of a mixture. Um, a few, I think, that people were probably hoping for that haven't been announced. So um, the lifetime ISA exit penalty, so the lifetime ISA products introduced a few years back to encourage first-time buyers onto the onto housing ladder to give them a helping hand by giving them a 25% bonus on anything that's saved up until £4,000. But there's, there's a sting in the tail with the lifetime ISA. So if you 
use the money towards your first home. If you're over age 60 or you become terminally ill, then you can get all the money that's saved in a lifetime ISA tax free. But if you if you take the money out for any other reason, then you get hit with an early withdrawal charge. Now, that was initially set at 25% of the uh, of the total withdrawal, which meant that the charge that you pay could be more than the upfront bonus that you got from the government. Um, back in, I think it was June, July last year, in response to coronavirus, the government reduced that charge to 20%, which meant that the aim of the charge was just to return the government bonus you'd had, meaning you weren't getting an extra penalty on top of that. There'd been a lot of hope that they would keep that 20% rate in place for at least the, the next tax year, given that a lot of the financial pain people are going to feel will happen over the next 12 months. Um, no mention of that in the budget. They mentioned the cut from 25% to 20% this tax year, but nothing else. So people should prepare for that early withdrawal charge to go back up to 25% from April this year. And anyone who is planning to cash in their lifetime ISA early, for example, because they're facing income uncertainty um, as a result of the pandemic should consider doing that before the increase in the early withdrawal charge comes in in April this year. Um, capital gains tax, that was one that was talked about a lot in the build-up to this yeah, budget. Was. So there was an independent independent report was done by the Office of Tax Simplification, um, which suggested aligning capital gains tax rates with income tax rates, something that could have saved the Chancellor a bit of money and simplified the system. It did seem like quite a, a straightforward one to do, although maybe wouldn't have appealed in the Conservative heartlands. Um, in the event, they didn't mention anything on reforming capital gains tax. Um, a sneaky part of me wonders if the aim of that exercise was to make people think he was going to alter capital gains tax rates so that lots of people dispose of their assets and that boosts the Treasury's coffers over the current tax year but maybe i'm being slightly too machiavellian there in my thinking um the state pension triple lock again that's one that was as always mentioned when the government's looking to save money so that's the the promise to increase the state pension in line with the highest of average earnings inflation on 2.5 percent again there were rumors that they were going to adjust the triple lock that's not going to happen um i suspect in part because hitting older vote voters at a budget is a pretty risky business for any chancellor. And quite brutally, um, the, the coronavirus pandemic has reduced the financial cost of providing state pensions to people because sadly, lots and lots of people over state pension age who are in receipt of the state, state pension have died earlier than the government thought they were going to. So they've saved about one and a half billion pounds in the last year, year and a half versus what they thought they would have spent on the state pension. So that perhaps gave them leeway to keep that triple lock in place. I'd say those are those are three of the, the main bits that people were maybe expecting to see something on that we, we didn't get anything at least this time around. Well, brilliant. Thank you very much, Tom. And Danny, thank you very much as well. That's all we've got time for this week. We've got another podcast this week. We don't want to just give you one just on the budget. So we've got uh, a nice sort of a, a broader one that should be out in a couple of days time. And our special guest will be Andy Bell, the chief executive of AJ Bell, who will give a very interesting insight into what's happening in his business. So until then, thank you very much. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply 
and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.